what better way to start off the third official season of PH5 with the sound of sirens, don't you think? Uh, not to set a foreboding tone for the year or the rest of, uh, you know, the show, but it just kind of happened and I decided to just let it happen, you know? Sirens uh, can be beautiful in ways, don't you think? Sometimes. I remember there was that, uh, the band Klaxons. I don't know if anyone remembers the band Klaxons, but, uh, they started off that song, um, from Atlantis to Interzone. They started off with a siren sample, and it sounded frantic, but, like, almost in, like, a manic, like, happy way, you know? Like, let's get the party started, sirens. So, you know, this is, we're gonna, we're gonna treat... Uh, the sirens of um, that fire truck as uh, a let's get the party started type of sirens. Just like every fire truck um, siren is in its way a uh, let's get the party started siren. If you're a pyromaniac, that is. I guess the party had already started at that point, though. Anyway, hey! Welcome back to PH5. You know me. It's Phil. Phil May. Uh, the one and only host of the show. We are in 2023 right now. Whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. And a new year is upon us. It's crazy, isn't it? Here in Toronto, uh, yesterday was extremely frigid minus 20 degrees um it's warming up a bit today but we're right in the throes of winter right now and just makes me think about last winter at this time what was going on where were we at you know it's crazy to think that january of last year was actually imbued with a wealth of fantastic records. Uh, we had two records that ended up in my top 10 of last year, came out in January actually. The, the weekend record and the burial record. So has January started off just as strong this time around? Uh, whew, you'll have to stay tuned and find out. Uh, although, if you're not willing to stay tuned and find out, I can answer that question with a resounding no. Uh, it, it was a fairly weak album for new... <laughs> fairly weak month for new records. Uh, I, I don't really foresee any of these albums kind of worming their way into my year-end list, but time will only tell, you know? Who knows? Uh, as we saw with a lot of the records on last year's year-end list, um, perception and, you know, uh, idea of quality of music changes and your relationship to music changes as time goes on. So, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe all of these records will end up in my top 25 at the end of the year. Even the ones I didn't like. There's really no way of knowing how we will change as a full 12 months goes by, how the world will change, how music will change. So 
you gotta gotta keep an open mind because anything can happen um but yeah for the most part january wasn't that great we'll get into that though how are you guys are you well good um that's great i'm hoping that your answer to that question was i'm doing really good because uh, i answered affirmatively and you're probably gonna think i'm a dick if you had a terrible january and i responded by saying that's great so here's to hoping that you're doing well hope you're staying warm hope you're staying safe and hope that you are ready to listen to me talk for I'm gonna aim for another 45 minutes or so, but we all know how that goes, don't we? Okay, let's just get into it. Let's just dive right in to a new year of PH5. Once again, Phil May, your host. So thankful for your ears uh, as we enter the third year of this silly old podcast. Thanks everyone, and let's get started, PH5. Okay, so, let's do it. First record of the year of the show. <laughs> Hope I still remember how to do this. So, coming in at number five for January 2023, we have the album Living by Mark William Lewis. I have no idea who this guy is. Uh, I had never heard of him before I, on a whim, decided to download and listen to this record. Uh, I still know nothing about him, and that's kind of the way I like it, I think. Uh, why did I even bother downloading this record? If I'm being honest, it was the cover art that really intrigued me and caught my eye and should stand as a testament to kind of the power that imagery can have in, you know, uh, convincing people to check your shit out, or whatever it might be. Because otherwise, I absolutely wouldn't have bothered. I mean, the album's called Living. The guy's name is literally just three white guys' names in a row. Like, offhand, it's not something I'm especially interested in if I'm just reading about it on paper. But I saw the cover art, and it was very, very intriguing to me. So I had to check it out. Um, cover art, again, I, I can't show you uh, with my uh, words, but I can describe it, which is a way of showing with words, I guess. Kind of looks like a CD case that's kind of got some condensation on it. <laughs> that's basically it. Very minimal, but kind of mysterious in a way and intriguing. And that's actually exactly how I would describe uh, the music on this record itself. Uh, he's a very, I mean, he, I guess you would call it indie, I guess you would call it rock, I don't know. But it's, it's very minimal, I heard it described as skeletal, which I think is very suiting. Uh, you've got these compositions that he's put together using just very simple guitar, bass, drums, um, and a variety of, you know, kind of more, I guess we'll say orchestral instruments. You get some kind of violin moments, some double bass, probably some woodwinds. And apparently he plays most of the instruments himself, which is cool, I guess. 
I mean, I don't really care about that. But, yeah, good good for him, you know? Good for him for, uh, you know, having a, a family with a sh shit ton of money that could pay for him to learn all these instruments. That's all I hear when I hear about people who are, like, these, like, amazing instrumentalists who can play all these different things. So I'm like, oh, cool, so you're rich. That's, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Um... Not the point though. The point is the way that he's combined all these different instruments and all these different elements into these really intriguing low-key songs. Um, the album just kind of just sneaks in at being designated as an album. It's not very long, it's just about half an hour long. It's only like eight songs or something like that. So. He doesn't wear out his welcome, and he makes sure to get right to the point with his music. Um, which, again, I can only really describe as, like, kind of... like It borders almost on um, slowcore, with uh, kind of its slower pace in a lot of songs. But that's not even the case, because the one song, The Power, is kind of more upbeat, and it moves at kind of a quicker pace. But it's the kind of production and the way that the instruments and everything is treated that really reminds me of slowcore. Um, you know, there's not a lot of effects on anything. Everything seems very kind of bare bones, and you know, you can. It almost sounds like you're listening to this recording happening in a room that you're in. And the, the things that he sings about, it's, it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what it is. But, again, the mood and the vibe that's just sustained for this entirety of the record is really, really neat. And, and not really like anything that I've kind of heard before. Which I'm sure I've said on this podcast like a hundred times at this point. But, again, he's captured a mood, he's captured a vibe, an energy that is just kind of cool, not in like a like hip way, but like a in the temperature way, if that makes any sense. It's a cool, low-key, um, just strange, mysterious vibe. Um, and it's hard to say exactly what makes it strange or mysterious, because it's not like he's introduced some strange or mysterious sounds or anything like this it's just it, it's hard to explain <laughs> and you'll have to forgive me for not being able to you know put into words exactly what I'm, I'm trying to right now uh, again it's uh, it's been like you know it's been over a month I haven't been doing this talking about music thing for weeks now so you know, you gotta let me kind of get into my groove a little bit here, so apologies to Mark, uh, Mr. Lewis, for, you know, kind of getting the short end of my rambling stick here, but it's a very intriguing record, definitely one of the most intriguing records that I've heard to begin this year, uh, again, not saying much, because I haven't heard that many records yet, but you know what I'm talking about. It's something that I would recommend just about anyone to give it a listen, and even if you don't like it, um, I'm sure you'll be kind of like, oh, I, I get what he was saying there. It, it is kind of a cool, weird, chill, low-key vibe. Um, 
this was a record I wanted to put on the honorable mentions, uh, but you know the logistics of all the other records didn't quite pan out. But the reason being, I'm really intrigued to see where this guy's career and uh, songwriting takes him next because this sounds to me like a like a very good start. But I want to see where it goes from here. So. Coming in at number five for January 2023, we have Living by Mark William Lewis. And coming in at number four, we have Nicole Dolleganger, or is it Dolleganger? Uh, I don't know, I'll ask her next time I see her, uh, with Married in Mount Airy. So, this is a record that I think the ignorant would describe as post-Ethel Kane. Um, let me explain what I mean by this. This record does really hold a lot of similarities with uh, Preacher's Daughter in that, uh, you know, the songs themselves, you know, are, you know, devoid of percussion in a lot of places. Um, they're about kind of spoiled relationships. Uh, they really kind of bring to mind this sense of Americana. But the thing is, Nicole Dolganger has been doing this for a long time now, actually, a lot longer than Ethel Kane. Um, just hasn't really gotten to the point where she's been able to get the flowers the way that a lot of her contemporaries uh, uh, contemporaries have been able to over the years. Um, like, for example, it, the music is also very reminiscent of Lana Del Rey. And, I mean, at this point, you know, Lana's one of the most popular songwriters out there right now, you know? Um, you know, the, the success that she's been able to obtain is amazing. And, you know, rightfully so. She deserves it. She's, she's great. I got nothing against Lana. Uh, Ultraviolence is a spectacular record. Uh, but Nicole Dolleganger just hasn't really been able to quite get there yet. And... Maybe it's because up until this point, the songwriting just hasn't been as good. Maybe it's because uh, Nicole's just a little bit weirder than Lana. I'd say quite a bit weirder than Lana, actually. Um, she tends to sing with this kind of um, almost like baby voice intonation that kind of reminds me a lot of Grimes in a lot of ways. Um, and the music itself kind of uh, borders on the uncanny at points where the instrumentation has a tendency to kind of veer into more kind of off-key tones and textures that uh, bring to mind a little bit more unease than anything that Lana's ever done before. Which kind of brings to mind my comparison to um, Evil Kane. Now, you know, Preacher's Daughter is one of the best, if not the best, record from last year. So, you know, 
has Nicole Dollganger hit that point yet? No. And it makes a lot of sense to me that Ethel Kane has been able to become as popular in such a short time the way that she has, because that record really is amazing. Uh, but I think with this album, you know, we should start to be seeing some people getting more into the whole Nicole Dollaganger thing, or at least they should, because if you like that Ethel Kane record, um, then there's no reason for you not to love this one, because, again, it, it is similar, it, it carries a lot of the same themes, like, for example, you know, the record itself is kind of like a concept album about, um, you know, a marriage turned sour, um, and, you know, the the songs are kind of float along at a, the same kind of pace Ethel Kane's music does. But where Ethel Kane uses a lot of, you know, heavier elements in her music and drones and, you know, like distorted guitars and things like that. Nicole uses more kind of, we'll say, ethereal instrumentation to kind of create the vibe that she manages to sustain for the entire record. Uh, the album kind of floats along through this arc where things start out a little bit eerie, but things like things are going okay. And then things start to go bad by middle of the record and by the end of it, the whole thing is just kind of a mess. Uh, so it's, it's a cool concept in that way. Again, it's not a new concept by any means, but I think Nicole Dollaganger's songwriting has really come a long way. And there's a lot of really fantastic songs on this record, but the whole idea is just kind of the, the mood and the vibe that you get when you listen to this album. And it really does need to be listened to from start to finish to get the whole idea of what she's trying to do and the story that she's trying to tell uh, through this really kind of achingly beautiful yet, you know, uh, cryptic and bordering on kind of eerie, scary at times. It reminds me of like... How do I even describe this? You know how, like, the Victorian era kind of has that weird, like, slightly disturbing, almost gothic element to it? That's what this record kind of feels like to me. Um, maybe that doesn't make any sense, but that's what I'm sticking to. Anyway, coming in at number four, we have Nicole Dollaganger. Married in Mount Airy. Okay, so we're making some good time here. Maybe this will be the theme for 2023 PH5 episodes. Uh, compact, concise, uh, just right to the point. Um, no more two hour long epics. But that's not very much fun, is it? You know? Uh, if I don't feel like I just swallowed cement after finishing one of these episodes, then I don't think I've done it the right way. But, you know, as I've said, gotta ease back into things, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, 
Anyway, coming in at number three, we have Paranual with After the Magic. So, um, no, we're not talking about uh, Orlando's uh, hottest basketball team and what they do um, after they uh, uh, play or something. Um, we're talking about the latest record from South Korean sensation Paranual. Uh, and no, I'm not talking about BT. I gotta stop with this whole no, I'm not talking about bid. It's, uh, it's worn out pretty quickly. Anyway, so this is the second, second that I know of, anyway, record by Paranual, the uh, very mysterious South Korean gentleman whose identity no one really knows. No one knows who they are, but uh, they make some badass tunes. And they kind of came onto the scene in 2021 where their record uh, to see the rest of the dream or to see the end of the dream or something. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. It's, it's one of those two titles uh, just kind of appeared out of nowhere and was kind of like a, a, an underground hit overnight, it felt like. Uh, and rightfully so. You know, uh, on that record, he managed to really combine the sounds of bedroom pop with, uh, you know, new wave emo and shoegaze in a, in a really kind of complete, satisfying way where it felt like this was the work of, you know, like a whole band or even like an institution of people instead of just one guy kind of figuring shit out in his bedroom. Um, it just felt complete. So, here we are today with the follow-up to that record, and, you know, it's always kind of hard to follow up these random overnight success underground hit records, because all of a sudden, you've, you've got fans out there that you, you were never expecting to ever have, you know, and your profile is so, so, so high compared to what it was the first time that you released a record. Um, you know, and it has to really affect the way that you write songs and kind of perceive what the next steps of your musical career are going to be. Um, I mean, the, I think the best artists can kind of block all that out and, you know, focus on the music and focus on just making the best stuff that they possibly can. <clears throat> but, you know, it, it's, it's so hard knowing that, you know, going from, okay, maybe, like, a few dozen people will listen to this, to, oh, wait, like, a few million people are going to listen to this, and, you know, they're going to be very critical of it because of how beloved my first record was, and, you know, since no one knows who I am, there's that degree of anonymity with me that people might be, you know, a little bit more willing to just be straight up mean about it, and, uh, just, you know, pile on the record because who cares? We don't know who this person actually is. You know, we're at this point where I was having this discussion with my friend the other day, like, um, you know, the whole anonymity of the internet age has just made people so mean and, and, and willing to be so mean because when you can't really put a face to the name, it doesn't even feel like you're interacting with another person. Uh, 
But despite all that pressure, despite all that, Paranul has come out with this record that I would say is probably even better than the last one. Um, it, it takes a, a, a pretty drastic step away from this uh, heavy emo shoegaze sound and it brings in a lot of uh, much, I would say, lighter elements. Um, he described the record by saying, maybe not what you expected, but it's what I always wanted. And it's weird that he called the album after the magic because at risk of sounding kind of corny, like it sounds like the magic is actually happening on this record. Uh, this is an album that can only be described as maximalist. We've got, you know, it, it seems like any, any instrument or any idea that he thought could be good, rather than stripping things away into these songs, he's, he's added them in. So you've got guitar, you've got acoustic guitar, you've got, um, you know, glitchy uh, drum machine drums, you've got what sound like actual drums, you've got strings, you've got synths out the wazoo. You, there's just so much going on on this record. Uh, and it's all very meticulously placed together um, in such a way that only the work of an auteur could create something like this. That being said, uh, there was a lot of collaboration involved with this record, which I think is kind of interesting for someone who is essentially anonymous to be so open to collaborations. It must mean he has a lot of trust in his community to kind of, you know, keep that anonymity alive. But the result is a record that's somehow even bigger than to see the end of the dream. And weirdly enough, it's it's... It, it, it appeals to me more, despite it being significantly less heavy than the last record. Uh, everything just feels cleaner and, and opened up more and, and brighter. And, you know, he's, he's, he's really reaching for the stratosphere with these songs and, and these sounds. Uh, again, the, the music still kind of lives within this uh, almost like indie pop emo shoegaze realm uh, but but you strip away a lot of you know the kind of aggressive and harsher elements of those sounds and you get this just almost joyful experience that is this record uh, the record is entirely in South Korean so if language barriers are an issue for you you might initially be kind of caught off guard by that um, and, I mean, it just makes me want to learn how to speak South Korean so that I can understand what he's saying. Because it's, it's clear when you listen to this album how important this music is to him. How meticulously crafted everything is. How all the different elements he's put so much thought into putting it all together. It just makes me wonder, you know, like, what is it that he's actually singing about? And I'm sure I could probably just... Like look up the lyrics and translate them. I should I should probably do that. It's kind of weird that I haven't done that yet. Uh, but it, it's a really really wholesome experience, and I mean it, it's gratifying because you know the last record, the breakout record from 2021, that could have just been a one-time thing, 
and you know he could have faded into obscurity forever and just kind of rested on the laurels of those records for you know the rest of his life even though no one really knows who he is but you can see that there's this desire and this drive to become bigger and, and, and become more and bring more into the sound and have more emotion and more feeling and just more everything and that's what this record is you know it, it, it has that ambition and he's got the songwriting chops to you know make it all work um, you know sometimes being ambitious like this can kind of shoot you in the foot which is uh, something that we'll talk about on another record a little bit later on in the show, but it's certainly not the case here. Uh, the ambition paid off, the dedication to the craft paid off, and this guy is is an absolute legend at this point already, two albums in. Uh, so that's what's up with number three of January 2023, Paranual. After the magic. Okay, it's time for the first official mentions of the new year. And we're still going to use that stupid little mentions theme song thingy. Let's kick it. These are the mentions. Nice. Sounds just as dumb now as it did uh, two years ago. So... Starting off with the dishonorable mention, we have Lil Yachty, Let's Start Here. And it's kind of funny that this is the record that I've chosen to go with, because initially when this album came out, I thought to myself, wow, is this the first record of this year that I actually really liked? And that's probably part of the reason why I'm putting it on the Dishonorable Mention is because I got initially duped, you know? I feel almost personally offended, like I feel like I got tricked with this album because the initial shock of what this record was was enough to make me think that it was good and I told people it was good. I jammed out to it with my friend, my friends. Certainly um, being on the influence of certain substances helped the first few times that I listened to this album and really enjoyed it. But as time went on, I started to really just think about the record and started to really actually listen to what I was listening to. And it dawned on me that in theory and in practice, this is not a good record. So why is that? Few reasons. In theory, why is it not a good record? So the whole kind of thing that Yachty was saying in regards to this record was he wanted to make something and he finally wanted to be taken serious as an artist. So. On paper, you kind of get it, you know? Oh yeah, you know Lil Yachty, that kind of like borderline joke rapper, like wants to be taken serious as an artist, who can blame him? The problem is, there is an inherent 
flaw with the whole idea of wanting to be taken serious as an artist and transitioning out of the genre of rap and moving into this kind of psych rock, you know, unfortunately, like, societally views as white type music. So, when Yachty says he wants to be taken seriously as an artist, who, who is he referring to exactly? Who, who does he want to be taken serious as an artist by? What about the people that did take him seriously as an artist before this? Um, did that just not matter? And I think a little bit more context is necessary here to understand why saying that alone is, is just kind of disrespectful not only to himself, but to a lot of his fans out there. So, you know, Yachty started out in Atlanta, you know, kind of making that sing-songy kind of trap uh, that he initially, you know, got kind of popular for. But if you've been paying attention, the past few years, Lil Yachty's music took a bit of a detour when he took some time and he moved to Michigan. And he got really caught up in the Michigan and Detroit rap scenes, which are really in their own way this completely different new type of hip-hop specifically in flint and he spent a lot of time working with a lot of local flint artists to the point where his last record that he put up before this one was literally called michigan boat boy and he actually thrived in that environment uh it really felt like him tackling the kind of detroit flint um, regional scene of hip-hop, it really worked for him. You know, it's a kind of a reverent style of hip-hop where, uh, you know, the flow is kind of purposefully um, off and, you know, it's very funny in its way, uh, but it's very, very unique to that area and it has its own really distinct personality. And the thing is, that specific type of hip-hop, in its own way, was pushing the boundaries of the genre itself. So, if you ask me, what he was doing before this was already worthy of being consideration of, you know, being taken seriously as an artist. Because, you know, he latched on to this forward-thinking new subgenre of hip-hop, and he really helped it kind of flourish and you know he, he took care of that scene and he took care of the people in that scene and he, and he helped kind of um, you know bring more attention to that specific regional style of hip-hop and you know because of his presence there he was able to you know bring more yeah bring more attention to it and, and kind of help a lot of those artists kind of make the jump from being really, really hyper-local to kind of gaining broader audiences. So what he was doing before this was already, like, artistic and, and, and already respectable, you know, within this sphere of hip-hop. And, it, like, this was kind of the thing. It was like Lil Yachty's reinvention as a Michigan-style rapper was kind of critically acclaimed and, and, and you know... Real hip-hop lovers 
were a fan of what he was doing there. Even if they weren't a big fan of his kind of, you know, Atlanta sing-song trap. So for him to just be like, no, actually, what I actually need to do to be a real artist is to make uh, borderline white people music. It, I mean, <laughs> you kind of see where the inherent flaw in that is and why it's just kind of wrong. And it sucks because, you know, the, the genres that he's tackling on this album, um, you know, psych rock specifically, they all started out as black music, you know, like you think about um, Parliament, Funkadelic, like bands like that back in the day, Sly Family Stone, uh, Jimi Hendrix, like these were all black artists and black bands creating this music, but unfortunately, you know, white culture has co-opted that music and taken it over, and at this point today, it's what we recognize as white music. So, again, for him to have to feel like he has to appeal to a white audience in order to be taken seriously as an artist, not not super cool, you know? I, I And not really fair to himself, not fair to his, you know, contemporaries in the hip-hop scene. I don't know. Just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Uh, so that's in theory, and in practice as well, while the album certainly sounds really great and cool on a fantastic sound system, uh, there's really not that many good songs on it. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, kind of cool, interesting moments, but in terms of actual songwriting, I mean, I can only really pick out two or maybe three of the, what, like, 17 or something songs on here uh, that are even really memorable so you know the the idea the the basis of wanting to do this was kind of sketchy to begin with and then the actual execution of it again sounds cool but you know it, it's easy to make anything sound cool when you hire you know every fucking indie white guy that exists out there to, you know, craft your record using all their, you know, indie money to do it. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's questionable. And then you get to the point of the cover art, which is AI generated, obviously. And, you know, there's that whole debate as well of like, why would he have used an AI generator to create this cover art when there are millions of artists out there who could have done the same thing probably much better and then you're actually supporting an artist and you know paying an artist and like supporting their careers and whatnot um I get lots of questions lots of questions surrounding this record uh and you know a lot of those questions would probably be at least muted to an extent if the songs were better, but the songs just unfortunately aren't that great. I will give a shout out to the song Running Out of Time. Great song. Would recommend that one for sure. But the rest of it is just kind of like like what a you know, a college guy stoned in his dorm room would think sounds good when they're fucking, you know, 
17 years old. And if that's what he was trying to do, I mean, good for you, you, you did it. But you gotta wonder, like, at what cost, Lil Yachty? At what cost? So, coming in for the dishonorable mention, we have Lil Yachty, let's start here. So, coming in at the mention, we have the record 12 by Ryuchi Sakamoto. So, Ryuchi is a Japanese uh, composer slash producer slash songwriter, I guess you could call him. And while he is traditionally known for making kind of soundtrack music for movies and stuff like that, uh, he does, you know, occasionally release, you know, standalone records of his own. And this is his latest kind of non-soundtrack um, based release. And it's basically an album that he wrote in the aftermath of learning about his um, cancer diagnosis. And the album itself is kind of this really meditative, ambient music. Uh, you know, you have your like straight up ambient songs, you have a lot of um, very minimal kind of piano mood songs to go along. And, and the whole idea of the record is just kind of him reckoning with, I guess, you know, his declining health and, and, and what it means to be diagnosed with something with such a fatalistic outcome. And the reason why I wanted to mention it is because it's it's a great like you know well in in i guess this is why i want to mention it because it's like how do you judge something like this as an objective i guess critic or you know music listener or whatever it may be like how do you place value in something that is obviously so deeply deeply personal um and that's the question, you know, like, I remember putting this album on and, you know, while I was certainly, you know, like enjoying just kind of the, you know, just washes of sound and, and quiet, you know, reflective nature of the whole thing, you know, there are certain tracks on here that he's kind of accentuated with the sound of him kind of breathing and, and, and the breathing gets, um, you know, it gets kind of labored after a while, and you can almost hear the pain in these breaths as the the, the music goes on, and it it becomes almost like too personal, you know. Um, and it's not a knock against the record in any way. I mean, you know, music is art, and you know, we have this idea of what music is supposed to sound like, it's supposed to have this appeal, it's supposed to, you know, connect with people, but sometimes, sometimes it, it isn't, you know? Sometimes art is meant to be made as a release, as an outlet, as something that's very, very personal, 
And that's exactly what this record is. It's almost like a, a journal of reckoning. And so we can listen to it. We can try to glean what we can from this type of music. But it, it's such a specific... Like, it's, it, the music itself is, is, is very functional. You know, it's, it's a record meant for him to deal with internally, uh, you know, the conflicting emotions of this kind of diagnosis. And you listen to it, and all you can really do is observe and try to imagine what he must feel and, and try to kind of wrap your head around the, the, the mood that he's trying to portray in all these songs. And obviously it's not a great mood. Why would it be? Um, but, you know, as a passive observer, it reminds me almost of uh, the Disintegration Loops by William Bezinski, which, if you don't know, is kind of like an ambient album made from looping a sample that Bezinski, he literally made it on the day of September 11th in his apartment in New York while watching the Twin Towers burn and collapse. So you can't separate the context of that event from the music itself. Just like on this album, you can't separate the context of Ruichi's uh, diagnosis from the music itself. So it, it acts as this kind of um, piece in time, like a like a like a moment in history, like a historical artifact, as much as it does a piece of art. And I just thought it was it, it's kind of interesting how some music can do that. You know, there's so much music out there that is universal and you know even if it appeals to a specific emotion um, it's a, it's an emotion that can be shared by many different people whereas there are other pieces of art and other pieces of music out there that are hyper hyper specific and yeah again I, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this I just think it's kind of interesting how music can be either of those things and and you know everything in between as well so if you kind of want to get depressed uh i would recommend listening to this record for sure so uh coming in at the mention for january 2023 is 12 by ryuchi sakamoto okay so the honorable mention for january 2023 Still getting used to that. Is the album Picturesque by Molly. So this is like maybe one of the most on-the-nose post-rock records ever made. I mean, the, the album's literally called Picturesque. Um, the album literally starts with a guy saying fade in a like very kind of drawn-out uh fadey way like it's just so so post-rock and the band molly itself admitted to almost like starting out as a sugar ross tribute band before you know developing songs of their own so 
you get a lot of that listening to this record, and a lot of the record, uh, you know, just kind of fall into that, like, almost too on the nose, post-rock kind of bliss, which is fine if you're into that kind of thing, but, you know, not necessarily treading any new ground. Um, but the reason why I wanted to bring it up uh, for the honorable mention was because of the last song on the record, which, if you can't tell, I am dragging it out because I'm looking at what it's called. The last song on the record called The Lot um, ended up being the first song this year that I ended up, like, actually really liking. So this record came out kind of in the middle of January, and the first few months... <laughs> the first few weeks of January were pretty slow and pretty dead in terms of new music releases. And this happens every year. Every year I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm getting old. You know, I'm in my 30s now. Um, this is going to be the year where I finally just don't care about new music. You know, and like, it just doesn't connect with me anymore. And, like, I see, I see it in, like, everyone. You know, like, a lot of my friends, a lot of people I know who, you know, growing up were, you know, into music as they've gotten older, they just don't care as much anymore. You know, they'd rather listen to their old favorites and stuff like that, which is totally fine. I totally get that. Like, you know, um, when life becomes so hectic and busy, we've got all these other things to pay attention to. You know, you can't be a freak like me who's still just obsessed with music the same way I was you know, like, 20 years ago, um, and I've always been afraid that that'll happen to me, because, you know, this is my, my biggest passion, for sure, and when, like, losing that passion is, is scary, because if you lose your passion in life, like, what do you, what are you doing, you know, like, what's, what's the point, really, so every year I kind of have that, that fear of, like, oh, like, okay, Maybe nothing will connect with me anymore. And, uh, you know, I know it's not the music. Like, you know, people always say, oh, music ain't what it used to, or there's no good music out anymore. It's like, no, that's fucking bullshit. Like, there's tons of great music coming out all the time. You just aren't able or willing to connect with it the way that you used to connect with things before. Again, totally fine. I get that. Uh, but I still want that to happen to me. Because, you know... That would be very sad. So this album came out, and again, I'll, I'll listen to everything that I possibly can, especially in the month of January, because I'm just so desperate to, like, connect with something, to, you know, feel feel like, okay, feel that, that spark, you know? They're like, ah, oh, yeah, this is hitting. This is good. I like this. I want to listen to it again. And it wasn't until the last song on this record that I really felt that. Um, so the last song is kind of like this plodding, draw, drawn out, um, kind of moodier post-rock song, for sure. Um, and is it even that great of a song? I don't know. It's a pretty good song. Like, I still like it. But that's not really important. What's important is I heard it and I felt like... I felt that spark, I felt like, ah, I like this, and all of a sudden I realized, like, mmm, yes, okay, I still have the capacity 
to like new music. And I mean, it, it kind of ties back to this podcast, you know, I wouldn't be able to keep doing this podcast if I didn't feel connected to new music, if I didn't, you know, want to listen to these things so much to the point where I have all these opinions and thoughts on them that I need to, you know, sit here for an hour and talk about them. So, uh, any fans of PH5 out there who were scared that this wouldn't be happening again this year, um, well, obviously it is happening again because you're listening to the episode, but, you know, this band, this album, and that song in particular are the reasons why I'm here recording today because it, it helped me come to terms with the fact that, no, I've, I've still got that passion. I'm still liking new things and I'm still wanting to seek out new things because I know that eventually my efforts in seeking out these new music, uh, whatever it may be, will be rewarded because something will connect with me eventually. So, honorable mention for January 2023 is the album Picturesque by the band Molly, specifically the song The Lot. These are the mentions. So, those are the mentions. Now let's get right back into the meat and potatoes of the episode numbers two and one of January 2023. So, number two for January 2023, we have the album We Cater to Cowards by Oozing Wound. It's a pretty visceral imagery in terms of that band name for sure. Um, If you've ever had a wound that oozes, you know you're in rough shape. And, uh, Rough Shape is probably the best way to describe this uh, this particular band's music. So they play kind of a um, metallic, grungy kind of noise rock um, that really reminds me almost of, like, if you think about Bleach-era Nirvana, way before, well, not even way, but before Nevermind, before they blew up, before all that, you listen to a few Outlaw songs on that record and, you know, they go pretty hard. And kind of the same thing with, um, you know, what's it called? In Utero! Yeah. Um, the kind of raw, aggressive nature of In Utero, um, it's, reminds me of that in the way that grunge used to be, you know, before Pearl Jam, and before Creed, and before all these bands made it kind of um, radio-friendly material. Grunge. Grunge used to be pretty heavy. Grunge used to basically live alongside metal as, you know, this vicious, uh, subversive genre of rock music that, uh, yeah lived right beside noise rock. I mean, you think about uh, the band Big Black, um, Steve Albini's old band, and you know, Big Black was one of Nirvana's, uh, you know, biggest influences. And what they did back in the 80s with their very kind of, um, you know, visceral and aggressive noise rock, uh, you think about the Jesus Lizard, 
bands like that, they all kind of coexisted with grunge. And, and grunge was just kind of a natural, melodic evolution of noise rock at that time. So, Oozing Wound is a band that really harkens back to those days when grunge, metal, and noise rock were all kind of playing in the same sphere, you know, and catering to kind of the same people. The cowards, I guess, if you will, based on this album title. So, this is their... They've been around for a while, actually. I think it's their fifth or sixth record. Um, first in, I think, four years. And could potentially be their last, so I'm really hoping that people actually pay attention to and listen to this record, because it is a fantastic album. Um, there's just three guys in the band, guitarist slash vocalist, uh, bassist and a drummer, um, but they do bring in some special guests occasionally on the record. Uh, there's some saxophone, I think there's like some like trumpet or horns or some in, in some songs as well. Uh, but the whole idea is kind of the opposite of what Paranual was doing, where instead of bringing as much in as possible, they wanted to kind of take out as much as possible. And you get this kind of really raw, nasty record um, that is funny in a lot of times as well, tongue-in-cheek, just kind of about, you know, general malaise of society. And they cover a lot of different topics. Um, First song is called Bank Account Anxiety. You get the idea pretty straightforward there. Um, there's a song called Crypto Fash. Um, a song, the first single from the album called The Good Times I Don't Miss Him, which is kind of a, you know, like a, a slap in the face to the music industry's play into nostalgia all the time. So, you know, the, the themes of the record are, you know, kind of about societal woes and the way that things are shitty now but you know they, they come at it with a sense of humor um you know it's not all just life sucks this sucks blah 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 they make fun of it they make fun of themselves and the record despite it you know kind of touching on all these depressing topics is actually a pretty pretty fun time and it's a really interesting record because while it does have a lot of moments that feel very raw and, um, you know, very kind of toned down. It also features, specifically in the case of the guitar playing, some of the most out there instrumentation um, that I've heard in a while, for sure. Specifically on the song uh, Between Cults. The guitar playing on the song is really, really just wild. And the, the guitar goes places I wouldn't have really thought imaginable and at some points it doesn't even sound like a guitar. Uh, the, the notes, I don't even know if these notes are real, if I've ever heard them before. And I'm not generally a guy that's like, I really like the guitar there. But the guitar playing in, in, in particular is really cool and really compelling on this record. Uh, the guy has some kind of nasty, almost Justin Pearson-esque vocals that pair really nicely with the kind of raw nature of everything that you're hearing. And it's just an immensely satisfying record if you're the kind of person that's into, um, you know, any kind of heavier music. Uh, I mean, even people that like, you know, something like thrash metal will find something in here to like because, you know, the majority of the songs are pretty fast paced. 
Um, there's some great riffage across the record. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it kind of lives in the intersection of metal and noise rock and grunge in a way that it, it, it sounds like all of them, but it also kind of sounds like none of them. So, you know, this is my pick for the first really great heavy record of the year. Uh, excited to see what the rest of the year has in store, how it's going to match up with this one. But uh, Oozing Wound really uh, setting the year off on a high note in terms of heavy music with this record. So, coming in at number two, we have Oozing Wound, We Cater to Cowards. Okay, so, here we go, coming in at number one, January 2023, we have Indiana Jones by Boldy James. Now, I, and I mean this seriously, I really mean this, when are we going to start to have the conversation about Boldy James being the best rapper on the planet right now because the way I see it this guy has been on a mixtape run that is basically flawless since 2020 and it's not just like releasing one or two a year I mean last year alone he released I think four mixtapes and they were all great I mean you know he made it onto my top 25 of the year, one of very few rappers to actually do so. And, you know, his last mixtape of the year came out in like 2020, like I think December. And here we are, January, and he's already released another one. And if I may say it, I think this is his best yet. So it's not even like he's just you know, putting on mixtape after mixtape of, you know, kind of mid-whatever quality music, which a lot of rappers do, which is fine. It's a great way to, you know, sustain a fan base, is to just deliver on quantity over quality. But the thing is, everything that this guy has put out has been quite good. And I really think that this is the apex. Like, I, this is the best that it's been. Um, the reason I think that is because, I mean, it's yet another one of his mixtapes where he's worked with exclusively one producer. Uh, this time around, it was producer Rich Gaines. And this formula seems to really work for him because working with a single producer really allows him to kind of tap into a sound and kind of squeeze as much out of that particular sound as he possibly can. Uh, now that said, with Boldy James, you kind of know what you're getting. You're getting, um, you know, street poetry about, you know, selling drugs and, you know, uh, your enemies and, you know, violent street life and whatever it may be. But the way that Boldy does it, he's really like no one else. He has this really cool, calm nature to his delivery that, uh, sounds very laid back but also very menacing at the exact same time 
and he he doesn't really need to kind of switch up that style because he's really perfected it at this point. Um, you kind of know Boldy James when you hear him now. You know what he's going to rap about, but you're still excited to see the interesting ways that he's able to um, rap about these things. So by bringing in kind of an exclusive producer to work with, uh, that's where you really get um, the variation in his sound and his music is through these exclusive uh, producer collaborations. So on this record in particular, uh, Rich Gaines really draws from this world of guitar music that isn't necessarily rock and roll, but more so like almost spaghetti western, like the way that Ennio Morricone would use guitars. That's kind of almost this textural element in the music rather than, you know, being the, the main defining melodic piece that drives the music forward. Um, this album has a lot of guitar on it for sure, but at no point ever do you think, oh yeah, rock, or oh yeah, you know, like this is a band or whatever. The guitar is used very, um, again, used as kind of a, a, a piece in the overall canvas of um, these uh, really interesting and unique soundscapes that Rich Gaines has been able to create across the whole record. And the songs themselves feel almost more fleshed out than, um, you know, a lot of other songs that uh, we've heard from Boldy James recently. Um, for example, a lot of the songs have actual hooks on them and have singers singing hooks, which uh, is not something that's very characteristic in his music. You know, a lot of the hooks in the past have been, you know, um, kind of like, you know, chanted, you know, lines or, or just like, you know, kind of catchier, you know, couplets that um, Boldy James has come up with, but he surrenders a lot of time to uh, actual singers on this record. And that combined with uh, this really almost lush soundscape that Rich Gaines has provided, um, a lot of attention to the mixing and production of Boldy's voice and, and all the other collaborators' voices and the music itself uh, makes this feel more like an actual album than uh, a mixtape, which a lot of his releases in the past have felt. Great mixtapes for sure, but you know, you, you can tell when something is more of a collection of songs and when something is like, you know, a really fleshed out album. And this is really what this record sounds like. And it's crazy because this was released with like, you know, no fanfare. There was no real lead up to it. It just kind of dropped one day, and the album cover is, unfortunately, just looks like some more kind of shitty AI-generated art. Um, the album itself is called Indiana Jones. Like, it's not very inspiring stuff until you actually start listening to it and you realize, like, holy shit, like, this is some of the best music that Boldy James has ever made. Um... Will this year be another year of him releasing multiple mixtapes? And will they be as good as this one? Is that possible? I don't think it's possible. I mean, I'd be genuinely shocked if he put out something again this year as close to the quality of this record. Because again, 
you know, stretching again all the way back to 2020. I remember first kind of hearing about Boldy James in, um, you know, the summer of 2020 when the, when the pandemic was kind of really in, in high string, high string, whatever that means. Um, and the fact that here he is, you know, consistently generating output and reaching arguably his peak at this point, you know, almost three years into this legendary run that he's on, is just astounding stuff. And I think we need to really be, like, thinking about, like, where does Boldy James currently place in the pantheon of rappers today? Um, you know, he does kind of live in that sphere, um, you know, Griselda-adjacent, um, kind of throwback street rap style. Um, it's certainly not trappy, it's certainly not poppy, it's nothing like that at all. Um, but it gets to a point where the music itself is so good that it, these subgenres and um, these, you know, specifications like, oh, you know, like New York style hip hop or whatever, this doesn't matter anymore. It's just so good that, you know, a hip hop fan of any style could enjoy this kind of music. And that's really where he's at. So, um, I think we need to just appreciate greatness while we're in the midst of it. Because we truly are in the midst of a absolutely legendary run by arguably the best rapper on the planet right now, Boldy James. So, for the love of God, give this man his flowers while we can. Um, runs like this can't last forever, but... You know, and if you're just getting aboard the hype train now, like, get on. There's still tons of room. Um, it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. So, coming in at number one for January 2023 is Indiana Jones by Boldy James. Whoa! Okay, we did it. We got through the first episode of the third season of PH5 without much of a hitch uh, I did have to run to the bathroom at one point in the middle um, but I will edit that part out and you guys will have no idea that it happened other than the fact that I just mentioned it right now if you're still here you're still listening if you've been here since the beginning I really appreciate you I hope you've noticed a you know evolution in how this podcast has gone from the you know, early days of 2021 where it started. If you're just joining for the first time, uh, welcome aboard. Unfortunately, this podcast isn't very, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to listen to older episodes unless you like hearing about albums from previous years in my, in those exact moment thoughts about them. But hey, go for it anyway if you'd like. Uh, Whoever you are, wherever you are, and whenever you're listening to this, uh, I really am thankful for each and every person that does take the time to listen, whatever that reason may be. So, I'll, I'll talk to you again in a month. Uh, stay tuned. You know how to reach me if you need me. Uh, PH5Podcast on Instagram. Um, my name's Phil May probably find me if you try hard enough as well thank you again really appreciate you taking the time to listen this is ph5 signing out have a good one